Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, this is John Dorsey. How you doing, buddy boy? Don't be scared. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. Presented by Locked On, it's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Tuesday edition of the show, where we are going to continue our series this week, previewing the college football season with two very fun segments. First, we're going to talk about our preseason top 10 NFL draft rankings for every position group, and then we're going to do takes on takes, but it's going to be a little bit different. Then what we've done the past few weeks, we're going to react to each other's bold predictions for the 2018 college football season. Kyle, you ready to have some fun? Oh, yes. This is the culmination of several years of prep work and foundation, and all this has been laid. And uh, we now have a chance to lay out our positional top tens. I have my big boards dropping tomorrow for the Draft Network, top 50 for the preseason. So getting some names slotted is going to be really nice. And uh, this should be a fun exercise in kind of looking at where we see things similar and where we see things differently. Yes. Yes, we will. Uh, Hat tip to the New York Giants real quick. Got the Odell Beckham locked up long term. Was nervous that wasn't going to happen at some point here. But, uh, you know, look, they made sure they paid their best player. And I think that was a good move. Yeah, and they uh, they backed up the Brinks truck for him too, right? Five <laughs> years, $95 million. Yes, they're going to have to hit on a quarterback and pay him very little for that rookie uh, that rookie deal here eventually. But uh, good for Odell. Good for Odell. I'm sure Le'Veon Bell somewhere is thinking he's worth that same contract, which should be fun to monitor that situation next offseason. Fun for everybody except for probably Le'Veon, right? Because like this is the last big one you get. You won't get another big contract after this one, so you got to make sure this one counts. This is his chance. So, All right, Kyle, let's do these preseason top tens at each position. What we're going to do here, you need to go to the draftnetwork.com right now because you can look at the full list, top tens, at each position from me, Kyle, John Ledger, and Trevor Sikma, and uh, and see how we stack these up. You know, you'll see how we – how different we are in a lot of things. And it's a fluid process. It's early. This is going to change. These players are going to show improvements or they're not going to. But right now, this is a really good launch point to uh, start our discussion on who the best prospects are for the coming draft class. So we're going to go position by position here and just kind of react to some of the things that stands out on each other's rankings. And uh, we'll start with quarterbacks. So, Joe, I look at your list here, right? And I said this to you in the pre-show, but I, of course, have to announce it on the air. I'm sad to see you're scared to be great. 
and have Drew Locke listed as your QB one as compared to Brian Lewerke, who is your QB two. So um, you are the least offensive of the quarterback rankings as far as our senior analysts at the draft network are concerned relative to uh, John and Trevor's rankings of their quarterbacks. But uh, when I look through your list, Jill, I see two names at the bottom, Easton Stick, Kyle Shermer. Both of these guys kind of snuck in. Seemed like everybody had a general consensus top probably eight or seven. And then you had three or two or three names on each each group that was a little different. I want you to give me the elevator pitch on Kyle Shermer as a quarterback. I think there's enough there in terms of physical tools. Not going to impress you with any of that. But I think it's the mental side of the game, which I think he gets. Um, you know, he's got a daunting schedule there playing on a, and the least talented team in the SEC against all these great SEC teams. And so, you know, it's going to be erratic for him in terms of results. But I think there's enough mental processing there with some physical upside to let him sneak in there on the rankings. I mean, there's certainly other guys that I thought about. Daniel Jones from Duke, DeAndre Francois from FSU, uh, to name a couple guys, even Nate Stanley from Iowa. But uh, for me, I think I just wanted to uh, – I thought to myself, which one of these guys has the best chance of getting drafted? And uh, right now I, I'm most comfortable with Shermer. So I'm going to flip it to you here and give you uh, one takeaway and one one that you're going to look at from a lot of our well, – actually all of our senior analysts is that we're pretty down on Jared Stidham. But I don't think anyone's quite as down on him as you are. He's your QB8 right now entering the season. I've seen some people on Twitter saying he's the next Tony Romo Kyle. So tell us what's going on with Stidham and what, what we need to see for him to talk about him seriously as a first-round prospect. Stop it, Tony Romo. Come on. Right, this well, is uh, – Stidham, I don't get anywhere near the, the pocket presence vibe with what you had at Romo. One of his best traits was extending plays from the pocket, and I don't get that from Stidham. I, I think Stidham's peripheral vision – uh, in the pocket with eyes down the field left me wanting more. He's not as slippery. Uh, he's got a nice arm on him. He could push the ball down the field. But I just have, I have some system concerns with Stidham where you know he's really able to spray the ball around the field with no problem. But what is he looking at? And I saw too many reps with Stidham getting his wires crossed. So if you want to try and draw the line with Stidham and, and correlate him to a top prospect. You've got to feel really comfortable with where he's at between the ears, and you need to see a lot of growth with where he was last year at Auburn to where he is at the end of this season between the ears. So that that's where my apprehension lies, and the, the Romo comp for me is a little wild just because <laughs> I, I don't think he's anywhere near that caliber of player from the pocket. The one thing I'll say, if there's going to be any connection, it's probably because – Stidham's the guy that is willing to allow things to develop down the field and extend plays and, and kind of run around a little bit and make plays, you know, on the move and extending plays. So I think maybe that's the stylistic comparison. But man, that's that's dangerous to me. That's rich, very rich. Joe, let's talk running backs. I want to give you the first one here. Uh, my initial reaction, looking at yours, I think everyone in the world who has a brain knows Rodney Anderson from Oklahoma is the best back in this class. But I want to go to the bottom of your rankings. At number 10, you've got Devin Singletary from FA, FAU. Yeah. Lane Kiffin's yeah. back. Production on top of production. What are you seeing out of him? I mean, he's just 
He's he's a fun combo of traits. And obviously the question when you get a player that, that is playing at Florida Atlantic goes, okay, what's the level of competition like? But this offense plays so wide open. They get him a lot of complimentary looks at the line of scrimmage. They get him a lot of reps in space. And he's he puts these defenders in a bind with his ability to kind of challenge you with physicality or he can get creative and get past you. And he's got a nice little second burst. I don't think he's like a true burner uh, by any means, but he's got enough open field juice that he can break a pursuit angle if he gets out into the open field. And um, I just really love the fact that they, they go out of their way to get this guy some touches and let him be a mismatch at the level that he's on. So the, the question with a player like this going forward is a stay healthy and if you get a chance to see him in an all-star circuit, I think it would be a great opportunity for him to kind of showcase what he would look like against more high-profile competition. Now they lead off with um, Oklahoma. They don't play defense well, in the I Big mean, 12, but at least uh, they yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, maybe somebody who's used to playing some defense would be good. But. Joe, I look at yours, and you have a group of three backs – uh, Justice Hill, Miles Gaskin, and, and Bryce Love. <laughs> yeah, those three guys, kind of similar players as far as none of them are especially large. Uh, they're all three of them are slippery backs. I'm curious from your perspective, how close are those players, and what was the tiebreakers between them? Super close, uh, and that's kind of why they're all tiered together right now. Let me say the reason that I put Hill on top. Is because I mean he's what like he's listed at 5'10, 185. Let's hope that those aren't the true numbers, right? Let's hope this is more of a Tyler Urban situation where he shows up at a weigh-in much bigger. But uh, I, I thought that Justice Hill, in terms of you know he's not he's not quite he doesn't have the juice that Love has. But I thought the combination of you know the elusive traits, the acceleration, but then it was the contact balance that was really impressive for me for a guy of those measurables, somebody that. Doug did pretty well to sustain himself through contact and set up tacklers and be very aware in terms of spatial awareness. So uh, kind of the undersized backs here, that's my little trio here. But for me, it was, it was that I, I just felt more most comfortable with Hill being able to sustain himself through contact, um, even if, you know, if he doesn't have the same juice as, as love. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and it's only fitting that this important interruption is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Have you thought about what you're getting your loved one this year? Or maybe you want to give the gift of sweet-smelling grundle bliss to your partner. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Whether you're the only one who gets to see what's going on down there or you're one of many, do you, your partner, and everyone else a favor and introduce yourself to this revolutionary company. Manscaped just launched their brand new Perfect Package. Inside the Manscaped Perfect Package, you'll find their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which features skin-safe technology and will prevent you or your man from cutting his nuts. Speaking of smelling nice, let's be real. No one wants to carry around that locker room smell with them. That's why I am thankful for the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. These products keep your crotchal region from sweating, smelling, and sticking. The Perfect Package will also come with a pair of Manscaped boxer briefs, 
That'll keep that junk feeling fresh all day. It's time to upgrade those overused pair of boxers to this new new. Give the gift that will make your Valentine's Day spicy. Go to manscaped.com and use the promo code locked on to get 20% off and free shipping. Ladies, this is the perfect gift for you and your man. And men, your partner will thank you. Trust me, he will thank you. And guess who else will thank you? Your balls will thank you. 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code locked on at manscaped.com. Receivers, Kyle? Shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Do you, um, do you always want to lead or do you want me to take a couple here? Uh, why don't you give me first here because I gave you first. Okay, so I'll, we'll do every two. How's that? Okay. We'll change off. So just so there's an expectation here. So I'm looking over your list. And it warms to my heart to see a couple Big Ten wide receivers in this group. But my my real question is, you've got players at three and four, Debo Samuel and Nikhil Harry, who are probably as polar opposite of football players that you possibly can be from a stature perspective and an explosiveness perspective. And I'm curious what the lack of sample size for Debo, what kind of hesitation that may or may not have given you to slot him as high as wide receiver three in your rankings? Oh, I think he's just so polished, Kyle. Uh, Debo, you look at his the way he gets off the line of scrimmage, the way he sells his route breaks, the way he attacks leverage, how good he is in the air, how good his hands are, his ball tracking skills, his ability to win after the catch, not necessarily the most athletic guy, but uh, very – competitive with physicality sees the field well he's decisive and I think he's a three-level threat so I just think there's a lot of polish with Samuel and that's kind of why I pounded the table for him when we talked about him uh, going to the Patriots in my mock draft and so Harry's a guy man I think we talked about him in May on this podcast and I I I mean man physically just impressive as it's going to get in terms of size and length and all that type of stuff I don't know that he's got great speed or, or burst or anything like that but the ball skills are there and, and his ability to win in contested situation. He's awesome in the air. He wins vertically because he's so good with tracking the football. But, you know, I, I think that there's 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 a lot to be desired there in terms of being consistent playing big and being able to truly be a route salesman. So I want to see more growth out of him, although I see the upside is tremendous. But I just think there's a lot of polish with Samuel that made me like him quite a bit, Kyle. Um, all right, let, let me look at yours here. And I see you've got A.J. Brown, AJ Brown at number five. I also have A.J. Brown from number five from Ole Miss. And in my mock draft that I put out today, I got a lot of people yelling at me because Uh-oh. I didn't necessarily have A.J. Brown going in the first round, Kyle. So what's, what is there to like about Brown? But what's also keeping him from being the number one receiver in this class like I think a lot of people perceive right now? Well, I think with you know this entire group of receivers – and Mississippi, you could tell there's physical gifts and talents. But uh, Brown, for me, relative to the rest of the wide receivers there, uh, specifically DK Metcalf, who I have listed as my top wide receiver available entering the season. Uh, Brown at 6'1", 225, uh, doesn't have some of the same kind of size, explosiveness mismatches that you saw from you know, even Lodge at 6'2", but Metcalf at 6'4", 225, and with how explosive he is. So, obviously, there there becomes a question of 
uh, system production here as well. I mean, the, these guys slung the ball all around the field and uh, they put up a ton of yardage last year. Brown led the team, was a little bit more of a volume receiver with 75 catches for uh, 1,250 yards and 11 touchdowns. Lodge and Metcalf combined for 80. So he got a lot of looks. I felt like they, they made sure they went his way with the football, but I don't necessarily know if he has some of the dividing physical traits that would make him a top prospect just from my perspective. And before we move on to tight ends, I'm curious if that's how you felt about him too. Yes. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you said there. And what was interesting about Brown, cause they've got three good receivers for Ole Miss, Demarcus Lodge, AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. AJ Brown was the one they moved around, right? He was the one that they put in the slot, worked him outside, try to give him and get him in favorable situations to sit in space. And like, he was the priority for those manufactured touches. So I think that's a big – something you got to consider with the way he was used and why the production is where it was and, you know, compared to some of the other receivers in this class that I think have better traits. Right. So tight ends. Uh, tight end group was, I don't know about you, but probably the hardest group for, for me to assemble after the first three. Um. But as I look through your list, Joe, I look at a name like C.J. Conrad, right? C.J. Conrad from Kentucky was a name I was surprised to see on your list because I had a hard time finding those last couple names. And he made your list and he was higher than I was. So uh, what were some things I'm interested to see if we saw anything similar that you liked with C.J. Conrad? Uh, you know what, look, I think it starts with him. When you think about just guys with baseline traits to play at the next level, I don't think he's going to wow you with any of his physical upside or anything like that. But I think he's a good blocker, which still matters in the NFL. I think that when you're talking about a guy that can win in line or you can put him flexed and hit a block in space or move a body at the line of scrimmage, I think you get that. Um, I don't think he's you know necessarily a great mover, but I think he's a fluid mover that runs good enough routes you can really guy that you can think about him challenging the seam and just running those crisp bench routes and that type of stuff. So I, I just kind of saw a guy here with baseline NFL upside that uh, that look I thought he deserved a chance to to slide into these initial rankings in a tight end class that I don't know maybe after the first six I don't have much to be excited about. So uh, that was kind of it, just kind of a baseline skill set that slid him in and in a weak class. Absolutely fair. All right, Kyle, I'm looking at yours here, and, man, I have a lot of questions. Um, I want to give you the floor here, Kyle. I don't want to single any one of these guys out because we've talked a lot about Noah Fan, and that's about it. So is yeah. there a guy that you – I mean, even when we did our, our summer crushes, it was it was a stretch. I started talking about Ravian Pierce and, like, just kind of really grasping for something. So is there a guy here that you want to shed some light on in a tight end class that we have not really said many good things about? Yeah. Um, I'd probably go with Sean McKeon from Michigan. Uh, I have him rated at the bottom bottom group of the top 10. Uh, McKeon's kind of a – he's more of a traditional tight end. Uh, Michigan has two tight ends that are, are really going to be impactful players for them this year the other one being zach gentry who's six seven two forty five or so um uh, a junior he's uh six five uh 250 
and he's more of the inline guy. He's less of a flex option, but I think teams are really going to like his ability to play in line. And, you know, kind of what we talked about with CJ Conrad is being a guy that, you know, when your base sets and if you, you want that guy that's going to play with his hand in the ground and, and help you in the running game and uh, kind of be a, a guy who squats down in zones. That's what I saw a lot of from Sean McKeon. They ran some tight end screens and stuff like that. And he can move pretty well. He, you know, he's not stiff, but I don't really know where, where his trump card is. So I think he could be a solid NFL player. And uh, with, with Michigan seemingly losing Tariq Black, their wide receiver, uh, who a lot of people were excited about, those targets are going to have to go somewhere. So expect to see some of those push towards those tight ends, Gentry and Zach or Sean McKeon. And uh, McKeon may help himself here. Kyle, let's talk about some big ugly, some offensive linemen, starting with the offensive tackle group. The name that kind of pops for me when I look at the rankings, and you have him as OT5 right now, talking about Greg Little from Mississippi. Interesting player, but I'd like to hear your breakdown and where you think his upside is when it's all said and done. Yeah, these were the players, and you tell me if you think this is an accurate statement. These were the kinds of players that used to get me in trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought Kajust more than anything. I was hoping you'd ask me about him. but Yeah, so when when – you looked at some of my early trends in scouting and where I kind of gravitated towards with offensive linemen. I like guys that can move guys that athletically have the rare gifts and things and, and people that really shouldn't be able to move the way they do at that size, right? Because that's what makes a special prospect and a special player, special offensive lineman. Like you can have the technique down, but if you're an elite athlete and you have the technique down, you're unstoppable. That's what made Tyron Smith so good before his back failed him and, and what makes Jason Peters so good for the Philadelphia Eagles. And so Greg Little, I mean, he he's I think you told me you thought he was the most athletically gifted offensive tackle in the country. But that doesn't mean he's physically gifted, yeah. That doesn't mean he's the best offensive tackle, though. So obviously the ceiling here is if he's really able to clean up angles and footwork and hand strikes and placement and timing you know I, I have some apprehension with a lot of those things but i see a player that for, that at his raw core and foundation can be a pretty special football player if the light comes on and things get cleaned up this is nfl under review local experts on the biggest nfl stories The NFL Honors Award Show was last week and one surprise when it came to Defensive Player of the Year. This is Bear Motter with your Los Angeles Rams update from Lockdown Rams. Aaron Donald would have been the first player in NFL history to win the award three straight years in a row, but it wasn't the case that the NFL Honors that award this year went to Stephon Gilmore. And don't get me wrong, Stephon Gilmore had a great season. Six interceptions, 18 pass deflected, two touchdowns. He had 53 total tackles. Stephon Gilmore won the award with 21 votes. Chandler Jones came in second with 14. TJ Watt with 10. Although Donald says this doesn't bother him, I see him putting this chip on his shoulder, working even harder, and coming back stronger in 2020, which is a scary thing for the rest of the NFL. For more NFL news, subscribe to the Locked On NFL Podcast only on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. When I flip this around to you, Joe, I was stunned 
stunned to see that you had Yannicka juiced higher than I did. I was proud of you. So tell me about Yannicka juice from West Virginia, who a lot of people probably have not heard of unless they've been grinding the tape on the uh, draft prospects of 2018. Yeah, it was it's fun because, uh, you know, I'm still work. I was working through my offensive tackles trying to find, you know, we haven't seen, honestly, I mean, you talk about making a top 10, it's so hard because you feel like you just haven't seen enough of everybody. Right. So, you know, I'd love to have watched a hundred tackles to get my top 10, but you know, realistically that just didn't happen. So I'm, I'm like, okay, I need, there's guys that I know I need to see to create this list. And so I finally get to Yadni Kajust and it was just, I mean, it was very refreshing to see his tape. I love the athletic skill set. I love the length. I love the way he moves his feet. Uh, I like that he's very deliberate with his hands, and he, he he does a really good job of keeping pass rushers at the end of his reach and keeping those hands inside. I think he has a good anchor in pass pro. Um, and so I just think he's that silky smooth upside in terms of being a pass protector in the NFL. Now, I don't think he's the most powerful guy. I don't think he's the guy that you're going to want to really uh, have to move bodies consistently. I think you can he can do some power stuff, but his game's not necessarily going to be you know just moving people out of the way probably better suited for his own scheme, but uh, kind of what you were talking about there with, you know, just the nimble footwork and the athletic profile and the size profile, it's all there. If he gets a little stronger, you know, he'll be a more of a scheme versatile player, but you know, I, I really just think he has a lot of upside as a pass blocker, which is super, super important in the NFL right now. So anxious to see him develop. Cause I think there's more, I think there's more here for him to achieve. And I think he could be an ascending prospect. So he was, he was a very, very pleasant surprise for me on film. Kyle, interior offensive line. Um, man, you've been high on this Beatis, this center from Wisconsin. Yeah, it's because he's a stud. Man, and like nobody's talking about him, right? And so you're like, you were like the one that shed light on him to me, and he's, you know, he's in my top two. What's the deal here, man? Why what people tell people about Beatis and, and why he's interior offensive lineman number one for you? Yeah, so I mean, you would operate under the assumption that this football player who is 320 uh you would assume this is a power center and he he can play it with power but laterally uh john ledger was just watching him like yesterday final preparations i would assume for hopefully putting him i haven't seen john's top interior offensive lineman but hopefully putting him at the top of his list and he got a reach block around robert landers from ohio state in the big 10 championship game where Landers was in the gap and they ran and asked Beatis to reach Robert Landers on this play. And you can see he takes a really nice first step. He gets kind of that, that shoulder turn to set himself up for when he does the slingshot type move. And then he snaps into position and his hips just roll right across the face of Robert Landers and he, he turns him away and, and gains leverage on a play that he was probably three feet away from reaching when the ball was snapped. And that combination and that ability to play with power and also play with finesse and play laterally. Like I think you can put him in any scheme and from a functional strength perspective, he's really good. And he's a red shirt freshman last year. So I think that's probably the big reason why nobody's talking about him. Mm-hmm. is because he's young. He wasn't on the radar last year as a, a redshirt freshman. But now as a redshirt sophomore, like he's in play. 
And I expect he's going to have another physically dominating year this year. Joe, looking at yours, uh, I'm going to I'm going to return the favor, and I want you to set the table because a lot of people. Some let me phrase it this way: a lot of our draft nicks that follow us and, and follow along with us on social media, uh, they talk about Chris Lindstrom. But he's not a player that gets a lot of national, a lot of national, a lot of national buzz. Is that because he goes to Boston College versus some of these other heavy hitting schools? Uh, why is Chris Lindstrom not a more popular name? Yeah, that's uh, that's wild to me because he's a quality football player. And you think about this Boston College team, and they've been just such a dominant rushing attack for many years now. And this is a big reason why is Chris Lindstrom, a guy that's played guard and tackle for them, projects as a guard in the NFL. And uh, he's entering his fourth year as a starter. So he's been a fixture there and a very durable fixture for them. He's a super aggressive run blocker. So if you like guys that get after it in the run game, very uh, tenacious type blocker, fits their hands, leverages their hips, runs their feet, moves people out of the way, you're going to get that from Chris Lindstrom. And, and when he's locked in, he's locked in. He's got that grip strength to really sustain blocks and he's a guy that likes to finish blocks. So if you're one of those guys that wants to see people move people out of the way and finish, this is your guy. Check out Chris Lindstrom. But I also think he's good in space. If you need him to, to work vertically and hit blocks, work into the perimeter and hit blocks, you want him to trap. They did that a ton at BC, and he does that a lot. So he, there's different things you could do with him as a run blocker. And then I think his anchor is really, really strong in pass pro. I think he's very balanced. He has good posture. He's under control. Uh there's times where you, you feel like he needs to keep his feet up a little bit in terms of his upper body getting a, getting away from his lower body. So you want to see that synced up a little bit to uh, for him to be more consistent in pass pro. But if you kick him inside the guard, I don't think that's going to be quite as an issue as it was for him at times on an island at right tackle sometimes for uh, for BC. But, man, you talk about guy with plug-and-play upside to be a starting guard in the NFL in 2019, this is going to be a guy you're going to want to target. So uh, big fan of Chris Lindstrom. Joe, the floor is mine. I'm going to turn the tables on you as we flip over to defense. And I'm looking at your interior defensive lineman, and I see a Florida State guy on here. And I know you as an ACC guy, you're going to be more familiar with this guy with everybody. But it seemed like every time I watched Florida State last year, this DeMarcus Christmas guy kind of popped off at me. Why don't you kind of give folks the elevator pitch on DeMarcus Christmas as a player and how he made it into the bottom portions of your top ten? Yeah, so he's been part of this defensive line that as Derek Nottie and him have been the defensive tackles and then Josh Sweat. And there's been a lot of good players. You know, right now they've got Brian Burns as well. So there's been some good players here. And he's kind of been overlooked to an extent, but he's a really good football player. Uh, he's not going to give you much as a pass rusher. Uh, you, you know, He's not really going to attack half a man and work his hips through a gap and have a counter and make a sack. That's not his game. But he's a guy that can push the pocket as a pass rusher and, and really compromise the depth of it but you know he's just a, a, a bull as a run defender kind of what you saw from Eddie Goldman and Derek uh, Nottie some of his uh, predecessors there at, at Florida State just a guy that he's not going to get moved off his spot he's going to get his hands extended and he's going to control his gap he's going to control his man and um, he's just he's just hard to move and so you want a guy that's going to be discipline in the run fits and maintain their gap integrity. That's a guy that is going to do that here in DeMarcus Christmas. Now, what I'm looking for this year is I want to see him 
put it all together in terms of that technique that he shows to sustain or to uh, to control reps. But I want to see him disengage and finish more consistently. He's only he's only got uh, 57 tackles across the last two seasons. He started every game the last two 26 games. So. You know, if he can finish more, become more of a playmaker, that's going to help him a ton. But, I mean, right now I think he's uh, rotational ready and uh, ready to play on early downs in the NFL with some upside to be even better. All right, Kyle, looking at your interior defensive line rankings, Rashard Lawrence from LSU is a name that pops. I know John Ledger's pretty high in him. I think Trevor is as well. What are you seeing here, and uh, what, what do we need to know about Rashard Lawrence? Yeah, this was this was a difficult group to filter through because there were so many players that kind of dropped into the same bucket, if you will. You know, we talked about on Monday's show you know, the defensive depth and, and where uh, these position groups really stand out from the offensive side of the football. So I put him in a tier with a couple other football players. Uh, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame. Uh, these guys are all in the same tier, and they're all very, very close together as far as where I currently think their projections uh, land. But they're not all the same style of player. Like, obviously, Christian Wilkins is uh, really kind of a hybrid player. He's got some exciting penetration skills. Uh, when I look at Richard Lawrence... Uh, I saw a guy that, that carries his weight extremely well. He's a really stout player in the interior. I thought he held the line of scrimmage very, very well. And um, I think he has upside as a pass rusher. I don't think he's there yet as a pass rusher. And I don't think he's going to be a dynamic guy on the inside. But I saw more of a ceiling with Lawrence to become more of a player than what he currently is at LSU. All right, so I'm looking at your edge and – you know, I've been watching ACC guys all summer. And so I see this bottom three of your edge rankings of Zach Allen from BC, Joe Jackson from Miami, and Austin Bryant from Clemson. And I think those are three players that the outside world is very high on and thinks some of those guys have first-round potential, definitely day two, high day two. If you can kind of briefly work through these guys and let, us, let me know what you're seeing and, and what type of upside you think the three of these have. Yeah, well, I'm kind of in the same boat as you with Zach Allen, where like I think he's a solid football player. Uh, I think he can be a really reliable player, particularly setting the edge and, and playing against the run. But he's kind of the opposite of Joe Jackson and Austin Bryant, where those two guys are much more twitchy. They're much more explosive, better get off at the line of scrimmage. Uh, so when I look at the tier three guys, which for me are eight, nine, and ten, Allen, Jackson, and Bryant. I think each one of them uh, has a niche of their game that I feel that they can be positive contributors on. Zach Allen, that, that's more defending the run, setting the line of scrimmage. Joe Jackson, uh, he's got a good first step, but his pass rush plan isn't there yet, so he's a high upside, high ceiling pass rusher. Same thing with Austin Bryant. But... Uh, I don't think their total games are, are developed enough to the point where they can be in the conversation to be talked about with the likes of uh, Brian Burns and Montez Sweat and Anthony Nelson from Iowa and Anthony Jennings from Alabama. Like I just think each one of those guys brings more all around to their game 
where these guys right now are kind of they're, they're compartmentalized where there's a part of their game that I really like. Yeah. And then there's parts of their game that, that they really, really need to get better at. As I look at yours, picking through your list here, uh, first of all, it warms my heart to see Anthony Nelson pretty high up on your list. But the name that stands out to me that I was surprised to see where he was was Jalen Jelks. You had to have broken your son Ben Solak's heart <laughs> to slot Jelks in the bottom portions of the top ten. Yeah, you know, I went into that watch um, really eager because of the things that, you know, my son Ben has uh, told me about Jalen Jelks. But, you know, Ben is still working on his edge scouting, in my opinion. Uh so look, I think that Jelks is interesting. I think he has a lot of upside against the run. I think I like the way that he works his hands and squeezes gaps and maintains his gap integrity and all those types of things. I like him as a run defender, but I don't see a very high ceiling in terms of pass rush upside. You know, I, I like to see guys with a little bit more twitch, guys that are very intentional with their hands and softening rush angles and you know, I think that a lot of his work got done in terms of being a hustle player and, and just winning with effort. And I don't think he's Hercules Mata Alpha by any means or anything like that. But Thank goodness. <laughs> it's interesting because he plays a lot of insides, uh, interior defensive line. He's 6'5", 245, a guy that's going to play on the edge in the NFL. But um, you know, I just didn't see a lot. He's kind of a slow burn pass rusher to an extent. So – when I think about him winning 1v1 against offensive tackles in the NFL, I, I'm not as high on it, to be honest with you. I think he's more of a, an early down player and not sure he's going to offer as much against the as a, as a pass rusher. Okay, no? so it's it's my lead here on linebackers. Okay, thank you, because you know I'm not keeping up. <laughs> yeah, I know. And um, for, I was excited to see Tough Borland up on your list. Did you get a chance to watch a fair amount of Tough, or was it kind of one of those two or three games as you're you're checking your boxes to make sure you're educated on all these football players before you make your listings? Yes, would have loved to see a lot more, but I like what I saw from him. Um, I think the processing, right? That's what you like about Paul, yeah. a guy that sees yeah. the sees things quick and goes. I mean, that's what I hated about Leighton Vander Esk last year. I'm watching him, and I'm like, Go. You see it. Go. And you don't have that problem with Borland. He trusts his keys and he reacts. Um, and I think he's got enough athletic ability to really, you know, profile as the second level defenders that we need in today's NFL. Like the way that he works around blocks and, and very intentional in those types of things. So you want to see him uh, coming back right from the Achilles injury. That's going to be very big. And um, other than that, I mean, I, I think that he's got a high ceiling. So there's there's a lot to like here. And um you know, I want to see more, but uh, he's was intri- interesting enough for me to fit into the uh, near the near the top five there for me in the linebackers entering the year. All right, Kyle, let's move over to yours. The name I'm interested in is interested in is Tavon Coney, the Notre Dame linebacker, a guy that I didn't get to. Admittedly, I haven't seen him yet. So you've got him sixth on your linebacker rankings, and and tell me why I need to get my eyes on him. Yeah, uh, he's a really physical guy. Uh, six foot two forty. So this guy's a big ball of muscle. There's actually a, a picture of him if you you look it up online. It, I think it was like when he first got on campus to where he's at now, and the dude's just super rocked up. Um, he he's a hammer when he wants to be, and um, I like his ability to plug gaps. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to get off of blocks like. If you're looking at some of the other linebackers 
in the group. Like Patty Fisher was a guy that to me stood out for being six, five and having some length and disengaging off of blocks. Uh, Coney at six foot, that's not an element of his game, but he can get into those blocks and stuff up the point of attack. So he can be a, a team defense type of linebacker. And, uh, at the same time, I didn't think he was necessarily compromised with his abilities as a tackler in head-up situations. So a lot of times when you get guys with shorter arms who are stockier and heavier, you see some labored challenges uh, in head-up situations, and I, I didn't see a lot of that from him. So I was excited about that element of his game, and uh, I thought he came on better and better as the season went on for Notre Dame. So I got more drawn into... You know, if he can sustain that level of play and still be that strong head-up tackler and be a physical football player, uh, you could do a whole lot worse. Uh, you know, he, he's not super explosive or not super rangy. He's a little tight in the hips as far as when he's moving away from the line of scrimmage, but he's a guy that's going to play the run and, and isn't a total liability. Uh, I, I would think that, that Coney's going to be a name that generate some buzz as we get further and further through the season, Joe. Corners. Yes. I don't want to take the easy way out and ask about Chris Boyd because we just talked about Chris Boyd. Um, let's talk about DeAndre Baker. DeAndre Baker for you is listed as your CB1, 2, 3, 4. Seven, CB seven, DeAndre Baker. This guy was red hot in May. Uh, what was it when you watched his film? And I know some answers from some of the other members of the Draft Network team. So I'm just curious where you fall on this spectrum of DeAndre Baker as a football player and why he was CB seven on your listing. I think the thing about Baker is I love everything about him except for he has two critical flaws. He's not super fast, so if you need a guy in terms of recovery speed and closing down distances quickly. You know, he's not, he just doesn't have that. He's going to give up some vertical separation. And he's not going to be able to catch up and he's stiff hipped. So if you're talking about a guy that you need to be able to flip his hips and run, which I need you to do in the NFL, he's very average to below average in both of those areas. Now I'm not saying he's like undraftable in terms of either area, but for him to be considered a top tier corner, I need guys that, are faster and more flexible. But, I mean, my goodness, goodness I, there's so much to like about him in terms of the way that he competes at the catch point and the way that he diagnoses uh, route, route patterns. And, and he can, you know, whether he's in zone or man, he can pattern match and he can he, he anticipates well in zone. And so, uh, like, I'm impressed when he's up on the line of scrimmage. Even though he's a bit small, 180 pounds, he still gets his hands on people and he can redirect. So, Really like everything about him. Just wish he was more flexible and more fluid, to be honest with you. Uh, Kyle, looking at your cornerback rankings, I want to hear you talk about Michael Jackson, your cornerback five. Uh, interesting player. I kind of pegged him as a scheme-specific player. So I want to see what you're seeing from him and if you agree with me or if you you know if you think that he can win in, in, as an off-man corner. Before I get into my Michael Jackson take, can you give me a Michael Jackson yell? 
jeez. Uh, well, uh, we came up what, a couple weeks ago that I know <laughs> I couldn't name three songs. Now, let me clarify for the people. If you played the songs, I would recognize them, all right? But in terms of me pulling that out of my head, no, can't do it. So I don't even know what a Ma- Michael Jackson yell would be. <laughs> is that it? Is that what it is? Yeah. That's where he's just got like the glove and the little moonwalk thing. And yeah, so anyway, so Michael Jackson, right? Yeah. Uh, he has the size that you want for a boundary corner in today's game. And um, I think what was most apparent with Jackson is how good he can be on the line of scrimmage. So as I'm watching Jackson and I see his ability to, to kind of use his length at six foot one and, and really deter routes from getting cleanly off the line of scrimmage, that's why I got really excited about him. I think you get him off the line of scrimmage, get him more out in space, and I see some more struggles. I don't see the ability to take that bucket step, drop, and, and drive on throws in front of his face. I don't see uh, great ability when he's isolated uh, off the line of scrimmage to flip his um, flip his hips up the field and turn and run with guys. So he's a guy that's either going to need to get his hands on you and, and ride you in phase down the field or he's going to be a guy that's going to have to have safety help over the top. But uh, I think with the amount of press coverage that teams are wanting to play right now, that's why he was able to secure himself a spot uh, right at CB5, uh, the, the top corner in my second tier of corners in this year's group. Is that what you saw? Yeah, no, I, I like it. I like what you said there. I think a lot of people, though, maybe anticipate him being like a top 20, top 25 player. So, uh very, very interesting to hear your thoughts there, Kyle. Who goes first on safety? Because you know you I got you've got to give one to me, and then I give it to you, and then we'll close because this this podcast is going way off the rails here. <laughs> so we're thing. gonna have to come back to uh, bold college football predictions on a later show. All right, all right. So I'm looking at your safety rankings here, and I see that half of your guys are ACC guys, five of the ten. So, um, man, do I want to hear you talk about them? I kind of do. Um, the one I'm okay. Here's the one I want to hear you talk about Lucas Dennis, right? He's got all the interception stats and ball production you'd ever want, but, uh, where you see him in terms of being a complete safety and, you know, when you look at his box score, he's safety one, but you know, in all reality, you have him at safety five. So break him down for us. Sure. I mean, when you look at a safety and he's 185 and you start asking questions about, you know, how effective can he be physically? at 185 and being an every down player and a guy that can do it all. And those are, I mean, you think about the safeties that have the appeal in today's game. They are all those safeties that can do everything. You know, there's very few true center fielders in, in, in fairness, in part because those traits and that level of range is really hard to come by, but also because, uh, that, level of like that what we saw from Malik Hooker at Ohio State right like that lack of physicality showed up on tape for Hooker at Ohio State and it was a problem at times and granted it's not what you're going to ask him to do but this guy is going to be your last line of defense and um, Dennis uh, the size really gets compounded with some bad tackling at times in all honesty, I, I was disappointed with some of his challenges. And, you know, he doesn't have a lot of pop in his pads. He's a little bit more of a, a finesse player. So 
that's kind of where my apprehensions are with him where it's like, yeah, like this guy's got great ball production. You love to see that, but uh, he's the, he's the bottom player in my second tier of safeties because uh, there are some real limitations with where he's at as football player right now. Joe, as we bring this home, I want to hear you talk about Ben Solak's guy, Taylor Rapp, because I had fun watching Taylor Rapp. Ben wrote a nice profile on him the other week for the Draft Network, but you have him at safety four. I have him at safety four. I want to make sure we're seeing the same thing. You like physical guys, man. This is your dude, right? Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that's going to fly downhill, can win, play in the box, play close to the line of scrimmage and make plays. My goodness, that's him. He's a great tackler. And so you want those physical components, which the NFL doesn't want. Um, <laughs> you get them from, from a rap. So love the physicality. He's a guy that knows how to, you know, separate the football from the, from the ball carrier. So yeah, he's a, he can create turnovers in terms of stripping it. And, I, and he's a guy that I feel comfortable with, you know, lining up against bigger tight ends and bigger slots and winning in coverage. Um, you know, the, the issue is that, you know, you just mentioned, you know, the most valuable safeties are the ones that um, can do everything. And so when you're talking about him being as a single high guy, I'm not sure he's got that type of range to really be a true center fielder. So if you want to play split zones with him and use him in the box and close to the line of scrimmage, I think you got a really, really good player. But uh, he just doesn't necessarily check that single high box, which maybe puts him into not the, the first round conversation, but the top 50 conversation. But, you know, his play demeanor is just wonderful. Joe, that's going to do it for us here on the Dudes on Tuesday. Maybe we'll find some time amongst discussing my – top 50 big board tomorrow to get into some bold college football predictions. Uh, if you came into this show with that expectation, uh, we're sorry, but we're not sorry that we had such a blast talking about our positional top tens. We've given you 45 minutes of content about tiered players in August before the season starts. Oh, excuse me. Week zero was last weekend. So the season technically has started, but if you want any of those bold college football predictions. If you want to know where players are, uh, you can reach us on social media. Joe is at the Joe Marino. I'm at grinding the tape. Uh, But if you ask us on Twitter, where players are in our positional ranks, we're probably just going to send you the link. So just swing over to the DraftNetwork.com and check it out for yourself. Uh, That way you will be completely in the know in where all of our senior analysts, myself, Joe, John Ledyard and Trevor Sikama stand with our top 10 at each position as we, Get ready to kick off week one of the college football season, which starts on Thursday. Thank goodness. Kyle Krabs with Joe Marino. Thank you for listening to Draft Dudes Podcast. We'll catch up with you all again tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.